Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Banter Podcast. This is your host, Ben Cohen, with my co-host, Mike Luciano. And we're on episode six today. Mike, how are you doing? I'm well, Ben. Um, what does it feel like to live in a country with a president with total authority? Total authority. I know it, it, it's scary. You know, I the, the guy is, uh, what can I say? He's like Vladimir Putin, but, but with orange hair. <laughs> he's Vladimir Putin with orange hair, but thankfully he is lazier than Putin and more inept than Putin. And really, that's the only thing saving us from tyranny. It, it really is. I mean, it, that, that's the kind of the lesson I think that we've all learned here is the U.S. really is right for dictatorship. Um, but thankfully, at this very moment, we do have a wannabe dictator, but he is also an idiot. So dictatorship is uh, he hasn't quite grasped how one might turn uh, a country into a dictatorship uh, if he had steve bannon with him still i think we might be living in a dictatorship but luckily um uh, sloppy steve was fired uh, a couple of years ago now so we're, we're safe for the time being and, and then trump walked it back the next day well he maintained that he had total authority to make governors you know open their economies back up or whatever but then the next day he said that I'm authorizing governors to use their judgment or whatever it was that he said. He used that word, I'm authorizing. And it's like, no, they don't need your authorization, whatever the fuck that means. But this pivot, I think Trump must have realized, yeah, the economy will lag and that's bad for him. On the other hand, he can blame others like Democratic governors for keeping stay-at-home orders in place for too long or, or whatever he wants to blame them for. So he's definitely yeah. setting up... He's definitely setting things up so he can blame everyone else for any failures of his, which is so very Trumpian. Yeah, like the, the, there's a piece out in the New Yorker uh, today, basically saying that this is it's total authority and no responsibility. That's a great way to put it. I mean, it really is because um, he, you know, as we as we just talked about, he would. He would dearly love to be a dictator, but he I don't think he has the balls to do it. I genuinely don't. I think he's just too much of a coward to become a to, to turn the US into a dictatorship or try to make the moves to turn the US into a dictatorship because it would mean he would have to take responsibility for more things going wrong. So he wants to have his cake and eat it. And when it comes down to it, he always kind of he doesn't quite have the balls to go through with it. I mean, just think about what would happen if Obama said something like that. I have total authority. I hate to play that game because you could say it with almost anything, but in this case, definitely. What if Obama had said this? What if Obama had done this? People would be losing their shit. They would be out on the streets with guns. They would be out on the streets with guns. There would be there, It would be Tea Party 2.0, and we actually are getting Tea Party 2.0, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But yeah, people, Republicans would absolutely lose their shit if Obama had said anything remotely close to what Trump had said. If, if any Democrat ever had said anything like this, it would be a game over. It would be a game changer. You would be, I, I can't even begin to imagine what the response would be. But it's, it just goes to show you how insane these people are and how cowardly the Republican Party is. Because the Republican Party, they're, they're not down with this. You can tell that they, they think Trump's an idiot. Uh, but they're just too cowardly to say anything about it. Um, I mean, it's just, you know, when, when you're basically the resistance consists of Mitt Romney, you, you know, we're in a very, 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 very weird place. 
dangerous plays. Again, you know, it, it is dangerous, but the fact that he's an idiot is preventing some of the more, some of is preventing more damage than there could be. I mean, because I think you know, if Trump was competent, he could really have used this crisis to to gain a lot more power for himself. Instead, he's just fucked it up in in ways that it's almost inconceivable how badly he's fucked this up. Not only from a kind of just you know, botching the response to the pandemic, but botching um, his own government's power. You know, a lot of people use, you know, they say like never, never let a, a crisis uh, go to waste. You know, there's always an opportunity in a crisis, but he's just failed spectacularly to, to, to take advantage of this just from a pure power power perspective. I mean, it's, it's astonishing. The Trump bump is over. He had about two weeks where he was up in the polls and then that was it. It was finished. It's not over yet. Who knows what he has in that bag of tricks of his? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, 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 I do worry, but I, I feel like almost like the country's turned a corner. Almost, I, I think that this feels slightly different now. Uh, I don't know whether you get that same feeling. I, I just can't help but think that he screwed this up so badly. There's now, I don't see how he comes back from this. I mean, before. I mean, I you know, look, I've learned over time to to sort to to. I've always thought is you know this is the this is the last thing for Trump. This is it's a, it's now over, and he's managed to come back. But I think once you've lost the economy, um, and now you know most of the country is openly just ignoring him. Uh, I I just find it hard to 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 see how he you know recaptures enough sort of devotion from the from from his supporters and from independence to think okay this guy this guy's great you know we're going to happily vote for him in um in in november i i i don't see it uh you know maybe i'm wrong i don't know what, what, what do you what do you see well maybe he gets that bump by inciting tensions like apparently he's trying to do uh, today he sent three tweets in quick succession the first one said liberate minnesota in all caps the next one said liberate michigan in all caps and then the one after that said liberate virginia in all caps but on this one he added quote and save your great second amendment it is under siege end quote trump here is referring to a gun control bill that was recently signed into law by uh, governor northam and so here's the president conjuring revolutionary language while giving a nod to the Second Amendment. And we'll talk about Michigan in a moment. But these three states have some things in common. First is they're viewed as swing states this year. Secondly, these states have Democratic governors. And third, they've all had protests against the stay-at-home orders issued by those governors. So Trump is singling out these states for liberation, whatever that means. Presumably he means he wants them to lift their shelter in place orders, I guess. He didn't say liberate Ohio, by the way, which has a Republican governor, but Ohio has also had protests. And I'm just wondering if Trump's goal is to stir up Tea Party style unrest in these places where conservative groups like Freedom Works and in Michigan, there's the Michigan Freedom Fund which is run by a longtime political advisor to the DeVos family. Uh, that's the family of Betsy DeVos, Trump's education secretary. You know, so I'm wondering if the aim is to get these groups to astroturf and help gin up anti-democratic sentiment. And with all these mass protests against Democratic politicians who they'll blame for the terrible state of the economy in those states, as opposed to the reality, which is 
we're in a pandemic and we need to stay home until we get the all clear from experts like epidemiologists and they haven't given us the all clear. And a vast majority of Americans agree with this stay at home, with these stay at home orders that have been implemented in a vast majority of the states by mm. the state governors. 81%, according to, I think it was a YouGov poll, think the stay, stay at home orders are the right thing to do as opposed to just 8% who don't. And then there was another poll showing that 61% of Americans say Trump himself should issue a nationwide stay at home order. Now, I'm not sure he has the power to do that, but that's a lot of people who want Trump to take that action. But uh, again, I think the, the goal of the protest now is, uh, I think it's similar to the Tea Party protests of 2009, 2010, which is to protest loudly and often and give the impression that a lot of people are pissed off mm. and that it's okay to be pissed off and maybe even it's necessary to be pissed off. Come on out, come join the protest, vote Republican in November, the Democrats ruined the economy. Yeah, I mean, I, I, get, I guess... You know, I, I feel like it's a situation where the Democrats are kind of damned if they do and they're damned if they don't. You know, they the, the governors in these states, if they relax the stay at home order and allow people to go back to work, then the death toll spirals. Who then, ta you know, who then takes the blame? You know, they they, they are going to take the blame for, for for this. You know, their state, they they made the decision um, and then they are the one who, who will pay the price for it. But then if they then if they ignore the president and keep the stay at home orders uh then you then you're right like trump has this narrative that he can peddle that uh, democrats are trashing the economy and you know so it's a really kind of unpleasant trick that the republicans are playing or that trump is playing where he can again it's like total total authority but no responsibility i mean he's what is he unleashing here he's unleashing he's playing to the the sort of deep fears of of his base and saying that Democrats are using this uh, as an opportunity to take away guns and to curtail freedom and whatnot without having to take responsibility for the consequence, which is, you know, it's, it's just classic Trump, isn't it? It's, it's absolutely classic Trump, where the Democrats have to be the adults in the room um, and actually do what's responsible, which most of them, you know, most of them are. I think every, you can kind of see it along party lines pretty much who's taking responsibility and who is not i mean there are some republican governors who are, do, who are doing a really really good job i mean in where i am in maryland uh, hogan is is credited with doing he's doing a good job you know I, i've got no complaints over how larry hogan has responded to this he's taking it seriously he's listening to the scientists and he's certainly not listening to donald trump but these other states are not taking it seriously i mean how long did it take florida to put a stay-at-home order in a long time i think maybe long... less than two weeks ago or two weeks ago right. and how many people was that going to kill i mean it's going to kill a lot of people yeah hard to calculate but obviously anytime you know you keep the beaches open like fucking mayor vaughn and jaws like desantis did and all right. these other places open you're going to get more cases and you're going to get more deaths i mean it's just that's a fact and again you're not going to be able to know exactly how many cases and deaths you can trace to DeSantis's unwillingness to shut everything down until it was too late. But I mean, you just you just look at this behavior uh, on his part and it's like, why didn't you do this sooner? Like, I, they just didn't grasp the nature of the threat. And the same deal with Brian Kemp in neighboring Georgia. I think Georgia and Florida shut down at the same time. This is like two weeks ago, Kemp said, up until like this week, we didn't know that coronavirus could be transmitted by asymptomatic carriers. And it's like, no, we've known that for a very long fucking time. So I think there's 
there's an, an ignorance there, whether it's just genuine or willful. There is just an, an obstinacy among some governors like Christy Nome in South Dakota, where yeah. there's one of the biggest clusters of COVID-19 in a, was it Smithfield meat processing plant? Right. They stayed open for business and it's spread like wildfire there. And she still hasn't given the stay at home order statewide, I believe. Yeah, I mean, it, it's as if what's happening around the rest of the world is just irrelevant to to Republicans. I mean, it, it, they seem to think that America is somehow, it's like somehow different than the rest of the planet. The rest of the planet, there are very, there are very, lots of clear lessons to be learned from what happened in China, what happened in Spain, what happened in Italy, what's happening in the UK, what's happening in all these uh, uh, hotspots where the virus is. It's like, look, the stay-at-home orders save lives. Right? It buys time and it saves lives. But for some reason, you know, America is this um, some, some, somehow capitalism trumps everything else. You know, that somehow free market capitalism um, is more important than protecting people's lives, which is which is just sort of, I mean, it's kind of laying bare just how grim these people are, how grim the, the kind of American um, economic system is. I mean, it, it's, it's just brutal like, that workers are not treated like human beings. They're just looked at as kind of cogs in a wheel cogs in the capitalist wheel they're to do the kind of the work for billionaires and giant corporations to ensure that's why they're also freaked out about it all these all these all the kind of heads of industries are freaked out about it because they're losing their wealth right but they kind of now it's becoming clear like well you're wealthy because of the workers and the workers are now staying at home you know they're all freaking out and demanding trump lift all these restrictions with just no regard for human life whatsoever it's, it's, it's astonishing to watch. Yeah, you had Amazon fire that guy in Staten Island who organized a strike, mm. and they fired two other employees who spoke up. And Amazon said this has nothing to do with the fact that they spoke up against corporate, uh, but more about them violating internal policies. And they trotted out Jay Carney. You remember Jay Carney? He was Obama's press secretary or one of them. Jay Carney is yeah. now a PR flack for Amazon. And he was out there shitting on these fired workers. Wow, yeah. I mean, again, that crosses party line, I think. The, the, uh, the greed um, certainly crosses party line, to at, least to, at least to an extent. The fact that America is by far now the deadly, deadliest place on earth to be, right? It, you'd be safer in India than you would be in, in America now when it comes to coronavirus. Um, How much do you think... The idea of American exceptionalism plays in all this. American exceptionalism being this idea that the United States is somehow special and unique among nations in history, and that we value freedom, and we have a constitution, and rule of law, and all of this stuff, and peaceful transitions of power, and capitalism, and all this. I wonder how much that whole I idea, which can be more crudely summed up as America is the greatest country on earth, America's number one, I wonder how much that plays into the idea that somehow we don't need to take this threat that seriously. Well, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on it. Well, it's kind of an interesting one. I've been thinking about this um, this past week about the whole thing about um, American exceptionalism. There is this kind of steadfast belief that America is, you know, the greatest country on earth. It's the most advanced. I mean, even my uh, I, my one of my Trump supporting um, friends who I was speaking to 
told me, you know, you, you couldn't be safer. When this began, he said, you know, why are you worrying? America's, you're in one of the safest countries in the world. Like, America's going to be fine. And I'm, I asked him, I'm like, based on what? Based on what evidence are you talking about? You have a third world um, uh, healthcare infrastructure that doesn't service millions and millions and millions of Americans who, who can't get access to good healthcare. It's just sort of the mythology has is so deep seated that even massive amounts of evidence like the death toll being 35,000 now in America like this surely should be enough of an indication to Trump supporters and Republicans that American exceptionalism is just a myth that the country is not exceptional it's not exceptional in 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 any way other than it's got a gigantic military it's in fact it's um it's worse it's significantly worse than the most of the industrialized nations in, in how they've dealt with this and, and how the ability of the infrastructure to kind of cope with this massive influx of, um, of, of patients. It's, it's kind of bizarre. And, you know, conscientious people, people who are dimly aware of the outside world, now are starting to grasp just how far behind America is to the rest of the rest of the industrialized world. But you've still got the MAGA hats and, and, the, and the conservative, uh, the, the hardcore conservatives who seem to just ignore the death toll. It's like as if it doesn't exist, as if as if the death toll is, I don't know, maybe I, I can't really wrap my head around it. I don't really understand the, the logic behind it, how you can be the greatest country in the world, but yet have a death toll that's, that that will will end up being probably close to a hundred thousand people dying. Maybe America is exceptional in this way, and that is most of the people who lost their jobs the last month, and that's twenty two million people. Most of those people no longer have health insurance. Right, 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 right. I mean, if now is not the time to implement some sort of universal health care coverage, I, I don't know when. It, it, it would be i really don't but like trump is at the moment still trying to destroy obamacare i don't understand how you can how you could, how this can happen i mean the republicans still seem hell-bent on trying to destroy the first real attempt to get healthcare to you know to poor to the to poor people in america and expand massive amounts of coverage to to millions of, of americans middle-class americans who've been kind of priced out of the market or crushed by healthcare debt and he's still trying to attack it. It's not as if Obamacare was great in the first place. I mean, it was it was it was compared to the rest of the of, of the industrialized world, it was you know wasn't wasn't very good. But yet they're still trying to attack it. I mean that that's the problem. I mean I think if uh, the Democrats win, if if Biden wins in November, the Democrats are going to ha- they're going to go they're going to try to do something significant. I think when it comes to healthcare, I think Biden's healthcare plan will be i think you're going to start seeing a lot of changes to biden's healthcare plan in the coming months i think as he as as they make overtures to the sort of bernie sanders left and the progressive left i think you're going to start seeing biden's plan being buffed up significantly and i think that republicans are still going to go after it they're still going to attack attempts to build a kind of first class healthcare system in america i just i don't understand it i can't understand it, it was, it's like the um it reminds me sort of the bailout uh, the, the bailout the, in 2008, the, the financial crash of 2008, which was a spectacular disaster and kind of proof that capitalism is deeply flawed, free market economics isn't all it's cracked up to be and you need government and you need regulation. Yet they found a way to turn that, to morph that into, you know, this was an overreach of government and the reason we had the Wall Street crash was because of too much government regulation. 
I, I predict that that's what's going to happen in this election as well. The Republicans are going to try and turn this into a narrative and say, look, the, the reason why the healthcare infrastructure failed is because of Obamacare. I bet you that's for the, I mean, they haven't started that yet, but I'm sure they will. I mean, we all know the crash did not come about because of too much regulation. More like deregulatory moves made in the 90s uh, by Bill Clinton and a Republican Congress. I will say the Fed is in large part responsible for the housing bubble it helped blow in the early yeah. 2000s. But that's a topic for another time. Speaking of Obamacare, when you were just talking about it, I was reminded back in 2009, 2010, when they were trying to get this thing passed, I went to a town hall uh, on Obamacare. You might remember some of those. Actually, I didn't go to the town hall. I tried to get into the town hall, but it was already full by the, the time I got there, I guess. But there's this long line out there. And this was in liberal Massachusetts. This is after the Tea Party narrative began to take hold. All these insane conspiracy theories about what Obamacare was. So at this at this town hall outside, lots of conservatives, I guess, people holding signs about how terrible government health care is. Mm. And this lady behind me just starts talking to me unprompted that she's mm. concerned about the eugenics that are in the bill. And I thought, my God, here's an actual person in real life, not some carnival barker on cable news, but a real person I am talking to right now who thinks that Obama and the Democrats have inserted, people, yeah. you have inserted eugenics into the Affordable Care Act. That's when I realized all of this Tea Party nonsense that we see on TV, this is, this is like resonating with people yeah. in the real world. And I'm concerned that this is gonna happen again with what we're seeing in Ohio and Michigan, for example, where we just had Operation Gridlock, they were calling it, where I guess all of these conservatives who want the Democratic governor to lift the stay-at-home order voluntarily formed a traffic jam that they could sit in for, I, I, I don't know, did you see that? Yeah, I mean, it was uh, another spectacular kind of example of just how toxic the right-wing disinformation campaigns have been and the right-wing media. I mean, that these people genuinely seem to not understand that we're in the middle of a pandemic. And if they all go back to work, lots more people are going to die. But yet they, it, it doesn't seem to sort of, I know, I, I can't understand it. You know, it, it makes no sense whatsoever. But then... What makes sense in, in Trump world? Nothing makes sense. Everything is it's like an adjacent reality where up and up is down and left is right. And and there is no, you know, facts don't mean anything. It's like, you know, you get my get your government hands off my Medicare. You know what my favorite part of the of this protest in Michigan was? Well, aside from the fact that thousands of people purposely gathered to sit in a traffic jam, aside from that, I like how all these people demanding Whitner Whitner. Gretchen Whitmer lift the shelter yeah. in place order while they're sheltering in place in their vehicles. You know, there right. were some people who, who got out and I guess milled about the, the Capitol grounds, but people largely stayed in their cars. And it's like, all right, so you want the shelter in place to be lifted, but you're going to sit in your cars? Why? What are you worried about? And so, right, right. And, exactly. Revealing, and, I think. Yeah. So the, these protests had a very Tea Party esque feel to them. You know, they had Hitler comparisons, just like Tea Party 1.0. Some uh, some people had signs calling Gretchen Whitmer Whitler, or was it Hitmer? I don't, I don't remember. But one guy had a sign that read Heil Whitmer, 
and naturally Whitmer was spelled wrong. So that's very on brand for the Tea Party. Um, <laughs> someone had a, a "Don't Tread on Me" Gadsden flag. Someone, at least one person, had a Confederate flag in Michigan because apparently uh, Michigan was in the Confederacy. The confusion and the stupidity. Uh, it's a toxic combination, really, isn't it? I mean, not having any facts and being not particularly bright is, um, or not, it's not not having facts, it's having alternative facts and, and not being particularly bright is a very, very powerful combination. And that's Trump's base. What, what were his tweets? What, what else did he say? It was about the Second Amendment, about fighting for your freedom. He said, liberate Virginia and save your great Second Amendment. It is under siege. There you go. It's, uh, I, I would love to, part of me just wants to say, okay, if you don't believe that the pandemic is real, and if you believe this is all a hoax, and if you believe that you can, everyone can go back to work, it's fine. Okay, fine, you do it. Go back to work. We can have Republican-only warehouses where, where Republicans can work. Uh, you can also pay for your own health care. You know, you've got to foot the bill yourself. You've got to, no insurance, no nothing. Right? You get sick, you pay for it. But obviously, the the reasonable person in me and, and the moral person in me doesn't want to see that. I don't want to see people suffer. So it's kind of like dealing, it's like dealing with a child. It's like dealing with a teenager who's having a tantrum. You've got to do things that are going to make these people hate you, but it's for their own good because they're not able, they're not really able to understand it. I mean, look, I get, I get it, right? Like not being able to work is, is, is pretty devastating. And I think, you know, I'm in a more fortunate position than many people are. Um, I've been able to keep, you know, at least some of my livelihood going during this pandemic. But, you know, I, I do. I certainly understand it. It would be much more useful use of energy to demand that the government properly, uh, you know, they, they're sending checks out to people. We have a proper welfare system whereby you get unemployment insurance. If if these people had unemployment insurance or or some sort of sane welfare system, perhaps they wouldn't be doing this. But they've been starved by capitalism too. They've been kind of put out to work in the warehouses and completely dependent on their paycheck for survival for so long now that that I don't think they see any other any other kind of possibilities. So it's got a very they're like a very obedient kind of sector of the population that cannot seem to see outside their own ideology and it, you know it's, it, it's it's sad because then the rest of us all the, the adults who can see outside of this have to then craft policy and um and governance to ensure that these people don't kill themselves you know i feel the same way you know these protesters part of me is like fine if you people want to go back to work go back to congregating in public Go for it and good luck to you. But on the other hand, that could potentially overwhelm the hospitals and divert attention and care from people who aren't idiots. So that's the right. downside. But, but it's I, just, well, I was going to say some of these people, you know, people are pointing to the death toll, the death toll of 34,000 or so now and saying it's comparable to the death toll from the flu in a given year. So it's no big deal. Let's open the economy. And it's like 34,000 deaths is around what you get with the flu each year. But that's the number we have with coronavirus with social distancing, with sheltering right. in place, with shuttering non-essential businesses. We don't do that with flu, which by the way, we right. have a vaccine for. We don't have a vaccine for coronavirus. So if we right. hadn't taken any of these measures that we're taking now, the number of cases and the number of deaths here would be way 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 higher 
Oh yeah, I mean it would be you'd be looking at maybe a million people. You know, that, those are the original estimates. Right well, the original now. estimate, the original estimates. They look. I think there was a model that that um, that uh, I think I think was the CDC put together. I can't remember who it was who put it together. Basically, if we don't know anything, you're going to see a, a death toll of close to two million people. And I think that's what scared the shit out of Trump. You know, I think that's what, what finally got him to change his mind was like looking at the worst case scenario without social distancing. And I think that, um, yeah, it, it's again, it's kind of sad is that death toll is lower than it would be because of the actions, because of scientists, because of authority experts who are saying this is how you save lives and the government responding somewhat to the advice of experts. That's why we're in a position now where the where it's slowing down. That is some good news today that the social distancing, it's, it's worked. It's been shown to have worked quite well, um, or at least sl- it slowed it down massively. It doesn't mean we're out of the woods, but it means that the death toll is significantly lower than it could have been. But what happened, I, I want to see what happens in Florida. You know, this is, this is where I'm kind of, I'm really, really interested in what happens in Florida because of how the governor just didn't listen to anything and only um, shut the state down two weeks ago. Uh, you know, so I suspect that they're going to, I don't know what the models show, but I think Florida is probably going to hit in a like, couple of weeks' time. They haven't got anywhere near to the worst of it yet. So perhaps that will shut these people up. I don't know. But that's, again, you're hoping that facts and reason win arguments. But I've kind of learned that that doesn't, that doesn't, <laughs> doesn't seem to win anything with Republican voters at all. No, in fact, it's a detriment. Yeah. <laughs> We've seen a steady devolution of Republican candidates on the presidential ticket since 2000. I mean, George W. Bush, I don't know about you, but I remember just thinking every day, like, I can't believe this guy is president. He doesn't know anything. And right. furthermore, he doesn't care that he doesn't know anything. He has no interest in knowing anything. Right. None whatsoever. He's even on the record as saying he doesn't read newspapers. He gets all his information from other people. And I remember thinking, yeah. wow, this is the nadir of the presidency and it's the nadir of the Republican party can't do worse than this. Then in oh, 2008, boy. we get Sarah Palin as mm. the VP nominee and she knew even less than Bush did. And it's like, wow, this lady is a 72 year old heartbeat away from the white house. If McCain wins or however old he was at the time, then in 2012, they went with the technocrat ticket, the standard soulless private equity budget hawk ticket that didn't work. And then in 2016, you got Bush and Palin mashed into one. And you, he's uh, in his own league. He's Nar- in his yeah. own league. He's in his own like, league again. And, and he also he also doesn't know anything, has no interest in, in knowing anything. But he has he's a great instinct for playing people. Yeah, he, he's a very unique sort of dangerous combination of extreme ignorance and extreme confident, confidence, which means that, you know, he's now kind of made it acceptable for a lot of these people as as did sarah palin he, he made it kind of cool to be stupid and ignorant right the the real deal yeah the real the, deal the face I mean, of the real america that's how palin marketed herself she's you know she would go to you know the midwest and the south and say you know this is where the real america is yeah, as if new yorkers are fake americans and people who live in cities are, are not actual real americans but, you know, I mean, but that's where the Republican power is. The Republican power is are, are in these states, you know, just the way that the electoral system is set up. It's set up to ensure ensure that these um, these states are overrepresented 
over represented in the in the um, electoral college. So therefore, to win an election, this comes down to the two, you know any election now is won in the middle of the country. You know, it's won in these kind of red states and purple states. It's it's a it's an it's absolutely criminal the the way that this power distribution is set up in America. It's set up essentially to keep the power in the hands of white Republican men. Totally. And I believe we're the only country in the world that has a system like this, where the person who gets fewer votes can become head of state because of this electoral, because apparently we need two Dakotas, we need a Wyoming, we need a Montana, when you can just take those mm. four states and combine them and just call them nothing here a Stan, and they can have their two senators and they can have their five or six electoral votes combined or whatever they would get. No, I, I, I get it. And it, it, it just means that presidential elections become these. It shouldn't be close. You know, it, like Trump, the 2020 election shouldn't be close at all. In any sane world, it would be, you know, this guy's a disaster and uh, this, he's got zero chance of, of getting elected. Instead, we have to pay all we all I do really is is look at kind of polls in, in these swing states. I don't care what I don't care what goes on in Wisconsin. You know, I've got no. It, it's, it's completely relevant to me. These swing states go for Trump. This guy gets in again, even if he loses the the, the general election. And it means that you know, four more years of this, I just it's unthinkable really. But it can happen. It really can. I mean, it's not. I I think the polls look particularly bad for Trump this week. Um, but uh, like like we discussed earlier, you know, who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? Who knows what's going to play in the Midwest? Who knows whether Trump's message resonates with enough people to convince? If you could convince all these Americans that Obama had inserted kind of genocide panels um, into healthcare system, what else can you convince these people of? The great irony is that the Electoral College was set up to prevent people like Trump from becoming president. And it just never, yeah. it never worked as intended. It never worked right. that way. But yeah, I, I mean, I, I was I advocated but during the 2016, there was a whole movement in the um, to, for the Electoral College to basically overturn the, the vote and to vote the way the, the popular will. And I supported that because it's like, OK, look, he's lost. The, he's, Trump has lost the popular vote and the Electoral College is specifically set up to stop people like Trump from getting into power. So the Electoral College should then do its job of then not electing Trump. But, but uh, you know, again, it was very, very wishful thinking. But, you know, I thought, OK, well, look, I can see why they designed it this way. They designed it to stop people like Trump doing it, but it's failed now. So I think the Electoral College is just a failure in kind of every, every single way now. Yeah, a number of states have passed uh, legislation to that effect, whereby they would pledge their electoral votes to the winner of the popular vote. And I'm looking at the map now. Uh, I don't know if it's enough, though. I don't think it's enough. No, it's not enough. It's that's that's why no one's really talking about it because it's not enough. It's called the National Popular Vote Interstate Compact. It's been enacted yeah. in Washington State, Oregon, California, New Mexico, Colorado, Illinois, New York, New Jersey, Maryland, Delaware, Vermont, Massachusetts, Connecticut, and Rhode Island. Those states that have enacted it, that's 196 electoral votes right there. That's, that puts them 74 short uh, of the 270 needed to become president. 
Yeah, so I don't. Yeah, it, it's not enough. I mean, maybe maybe after Trump goes, that's something that, that can be revisited. I don't know how that would how, how that would come about, but um, that would make sense. You know that that um, if the popular vote goes, to, whoever wins the popular vote should win. I mean, I I do think that's that should be the case. It does seem crazy that you you can you can get less votes than the other person. I mean, Hillary Clinton had, I think, was it three million more votes than Trump? Or yeah, it was nearly three million. And, and, and not be elected president. Because there's no way that Trump is going to win the popular vote this time around. No way. But there is a way that he wins the Electoral College again. I think his, his it, it, it does look increasingly narrow. His, his path to victory looks quite narrow now. I mean, I don't know if you're looking, if you looked at some of the polls today, it's really, really interesting. And you've got conservative, you've got conservatives are now sounding the alarm. I just, I published this in the, uh, the newsletter today, uh, in the banter brief. Um, if you look at, I think this is from Josh Crowshaw. Uh, he, he wrote this in the National Journal. He says he writes in traditionally Republican Arizona, a must win state for Trump. He trails Biden 52 to 43 percent. He's down by six points to Biden in Florida. He let, uh, led Trump in a trifecta of Michigan polls conducted in March. So according to the real clear politics statewide polling averages, Biden is ahead in every swing state. I mean, that's good. That's that's definitely some cause for hope, I think. But it's still it's not enough. It doesn't make me feel. I still doesn't stop me panicking every day, you know, because it shouldn't be close at all. No, he shouldn't. But it's incredible how close the presidential vote tallies are every four yeah. years. Yeah. There are no blowouts anymore. They, they all are close, mm. and it's really interesting how evenly divided things are in that respect mm. and it's it's really weird it's kind of weird that yeah that every, why do you think that is what, what's your take on on why that is i think the corporate interests in this country and the powerful interests in this country have done a really good job at pitting almost half the country against almost half the country and getting them to fight over stuff that they don't give a shit about at the end of the day rich people by and large they don't care about abortion they don't care about immigration. In fact, a lot of them hire immigrants, legal immigrants. They don't give a shit about gay marriage when that was a thing. They don't give a shit about these issues largely. They don't give a shit about gun control either. They give a shit about making money. And if they can get half the country who has inadequate health care, who have jobs that don't pay very well, they don't have good benefits, they don't have paid maternity leave, if they can get those people in their camp to do their bidding for them at the ballot box, then so be it. Yeah, I, I think that's that's that sounds about right to me. You know, I mean, it, it does. It, I think there's also the the media does profit very handsomely from having this kind of red versus blue thing, like this kind of sports this sports like coverage of elections, where they kind of you know it's the both sides thing, where it's like this the Republican guy said this and Democrats disagree as in there's no kind of context between it, it, when you're when you're kind of looking at what an issue is it's like it's like global warming you know it's like Joe Biden believes in global warming you know Donald Trump disagrees whereas it should be you know Joe Biden uh, has xyz to say about global warming and Trump is a deluded maniac who thinks that global warming isn't real now that's what the headline should be but it's still kind of framed as these just two different opinions like the the Republicans just have a different opinion it's like these maniac press conferences that Trump gives every day why are they covering it just stop covering it right CNN 
The other day during one of those, CNN had a Chiron that called the press briefing that they were carrying propaganda. And so that raises the question, well, if it's propaganda, why the hell are you continuing to air it? Just don't air it. Just go do something else. Report on something else. I mean, it's it's insane. I mean, I'll, I will write about press conferences and things like that, but but I won't cover it as if it was a legitimate affair. I don't I just I don't accept I don't accept what he says as being relevant to, to anything. There's nothing that Trump says that I take seriously at all. So I, I, a lot of the time, it's just I think it's not worth covering. You know, so but the media seems to I, I don't know why that is. I mean, it's it's a, I think they're maybe just heavily invested in this in ratings. Like the ratings model. Yeah, it's ratings. You know, you get more ratings by uh, covering it as if it's real. He's not he's not a real president. He's a fake. Like the guy's a con man and he's a bullshitter and People should not be covering this guy as if he were a real president. Yeah, I can summarize every Trump coronavirus briefing. He said something crazy. He took credit for something he didn't do. He blamed others for his failings. He said something inaccurate. And he called the media fake news. That describes every Trump coronavirus briefing. Oh, yeah. And he pimped uh, hydroxychloroquine as a a potential miracle cure for coronavirus. That, that mean, is how every crazy. single briefing. You don't have to watch. You don't have to watch. And I see, and I don't watch. I do not watch. I promise myself no more. And no, can't do it, yeah. when I'm on Twitter, I can tell when he's talking though, because people are losing their shit. And you've got CNN's Daniel Dale, who I guess is their resident Trump fact checker, who in real mm. time on Twitter fact checks every Trump speech. This guy has the worst fucking job in the world. Fact-checking is important, but at this point, I'm wondering, how useful is this? We know he's a bullshitter. Even his supporters know he's a bullshitter. You're not going to move the needle here by saying, oh, well, you know what? Actually, Trump said this when, in fact, this is the case. Okay? Yeah. I think I I compared this to, I think, rearranging or making sure the silverware was properly arranged in the Titanic's uh, dining room. Uh, as the ship is going down, it's like, well, is that the, <laughs> yeah, the salad fork doesn't go there? It's like, okay, yeah, maybe not, but uh, we got Ship's bigger problems right now. Exactly. No, that's a, I think that's a brilliant analogy. I mean, it, it, you know, I don't know how long they keep propping propping it up. You know, the facade of well, they've done it for three years now. They've done it for four years. They've kind of made it seem like this guy is a legitimate politician. That he's not a complete lunatic you know and and the fact that every time i see trump being covered in the press um as if he's as if he's a real person as if he's a real politician with with real things to say i just think you know i might be get called partisan people might call me partisan i don't feel like i'm a partisan person i feel like i'm just looking for facts i just want to know if mitt romney says something i'll cover it i'll be like what is his perspective i might disagree with him you know, I might disagree with Mitt Romney. I might disagree with a lot of uh, a lot of Republicans. I won't necessarily dismiss what they say. I take them, you know, I'll take them seriously. I'll take them, whatever they say seriously. But not this guy. This guy's not serious. And and I think that it's it, the media has spectacularly failed to frame that. And that's why they, I guess that's the benefit of Fox News, right? I mean, Fox News is essentially created to ensure that this alternate reality was given legitimacy was given credence so that now people are, it kind of has to be taken seriously because fox news is so powerful you know they've shifted the terms of the debate to the point now where 
you know, you have to take you, you now have to deal with this political reality where one side is are a bunch of raving lunatics, you know, and I don't know how you I mean, I, I guess my thoughts on it about how you combat that is to just completely destroy Trump and Trumpism. That's the only I, I see that as being really the only way out of this is to just wipe the guy off the face of the earth, you know, get him out of office and then prosecute him. They're not um, going to prosecute him. You don't think rich people get away with everything. Powerful people get away with everything. Trump is not going to be prosecuted. Even if even if Biden becomes president, he mm -hmm. is not going to want to do that. And technically, it'd be up to his attorney general. But Biden, I don't see doing it. Nobody wants to set the precedent of their Justice Department prosecuting their predecessor. Because at some point, they're going to have to leave office as well. And no, they're not going to be as corrupt as Trump in all likelihood. But nobody wants to set that precedent. I don't know. Maybe it might be it might be different this time just because I, I think that, you know, Trump has gone after Biden's family in, in a very, very, very in an appalling abuse of power. You know, that was an appalling abuse of power. And that I think I think Biden has said as much. I think he said, look, the guy's gone after my family. Yeah, no, you know, no presidential pardons. If he goes down, he's not getting a pardon. And I think that, you know, hopefully he, he stands by his word. I think that in the interest, I, I don't, I'm not one of these kind of let's unify the country. I'm like, no, 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 let's, let's beat the, the, the MAGA hats. Let's beat Trump and, and smash the movement. So it, can, it can't, you know, it can never come back again. And I think that that's what the the Steve Schmidt, the um, John McCain's ex campaign manager, said as well. I think he's basically said the only way you get rid of this is this is, is to destroy it. Yeah. How the hell do you do that, though? I mean, you, you got 40, you've got like 35, 40 percent of the country that will never mm. leave Trump. And he's saying it needs to be destroyed. I agree. How the hell do you do that? Yeah, I don't know. I think it's hard. And I might I think you're probably right that maybe a Biden will do that if he gets in, that he will probably try and get Trump off the hook. Do you think that would be a mistake? Do you think I'm, not saying, I'm not saying Biden would try to get Trump off the hook. I'm just saying there would be a lack of political will to do it. Not that decisions yeah. by the Justice Department are supposed to be political. They're supposed to be mm. apolitical. But there definitely would be political considerations there. And again, it gets back of to... Of course, of course. No, no, no president wants to be the first one to oversee a justice department that's prosecuting their predecessor because for them it, it sets a dangerous precedent i think trump has he is so corrupt i think you could get him on a number of things but i just don't see it happening we live in a country where rich and powerful people get seldom get prosecuted let alone uh, an ex-president of the united states i just don't see it happening as much as i would love to see it happen it's not going to happen He's going to face some problems, I, I think, and, and hopefully maybe they'll be able to round up some of the people around him and, and make them go to jail. I mean, that's already happening. I mean, how many of Trump's associates have gone to jail now? A lot. Uh, now, maybe this is just wishful thinking, but uh, or hopeful thinking that this guy pays a price for what he's done. And look, you know, who knows? It, he, you know, he might get in for another four years, and that would be a total fucking nightmare. Um, I don't know what uh, that. Well, I don't know what that would do to the mental health and physical health of my, most of the population. It would be bad. Speaking of con men, can we talk about Elon Musk? Oh yeah, you love <laughs> you love going after Elon Musk. He is a con man. He is, he. I do I do agree with you here. He's he's a, the guy is a, a bullshit artist. 
So with, with, the with latest peeve, my latest pet peeve with Musk, and let me preface this by saying that he is so much like Donald Trump, it hurts. They're both billionaires. They both had rich daddies. They both tweet a lot. They're both incredibly thin-skinned. Mm. They both mm. have cult followings. They both went to the University of Pennsylvania. Don't know what's going on there. They've both been married three times. They both promote themselves relentlessly, and they both initially downplayed the coronavirus pandemic. So Elon Musk has undergone quite the evolution on this issue. Yeah. On March 6th, he tweeted, the coronavirus panic is dumb. On March 11th, he asked his followers on Twitter if he should throw a rave at Tesla's Berlin Gigafactory. By the way, the answer was a resounding yes. Then on March 16th, he said, quote, danger of panic still far exceeds danger of corona, in my opinion, end quote. Now, around this time, despite the shelter-in-place order that was here in California, Musk mm -hmm. claimed that Tesla was an essential business. So he kept the Fremont factory open where they make all the cars. And finally, the Alameda County Sheriff told him to shut it down. And Musk finally agreed, though I think it's probably because Tesla just ran out of parts and not anything the sheriff said. But anyway, he kept the factory open longer than it should have been. So that brings me to the central beef, which is a few weeks ago, Musk in indicated that Tesla would make ventilators, which have been in demand because really severe cases of COVID-19 leave people, often leave people unable to breathe on their own which is why there is need for these invasive ventilators that can breathe for people. So hmm. Musk said he'd deliver ventilators to hospitals. Well, he didn't deliver ventilators, which by my understanding costs around like $50,000 a piece. Instead, he delivered what are called bi-level positive airway pressure machines or BiPAP machines, which go for like 800 bucks a pop. And these hmm. treat sleep apnea. Which is not coronavirus. Let me repeat that. Sleep apnea is not coronavirus. Now, some of the hospitals that got these machines thanked Musk because, well, it's something. And I guess at least one of the hospitals said it was trying to figure out a way to convert the, the BiPAP into a, a ventilator or something that's close to a ventilator. But again, these machines Musk delivered, which, by the way, he bought from another company, and he slapped the Tesla logo on before delivering these machines. That's Elon, forever the self-promoter. These machines are not ventilators, which is what these hospitals said they desperately needed and what Musk said he'd deliver, but didn't. And yet, the most infuriating part of this is Musk still insists that he delivered ventilators. CNN ran a story the other day, I think it was yesterday, Thursday, about California Governor Gavin Newsom saying he's not aware of any ventilators Musk delivered to hospitals in California, which he promised to do. Then Musk tweeted a list of hospitals across the country to which he delivered what he called ventilators in the tweet, when in reality, they're the BiPAP machines. And he also tweeted at Newsom asking him to tell everyone he delivered ventilators. So not only is Musk lying, he wants the governor of the largest state in the union to lie for him. And then I'm seeing, because Musk has, like I said, he's got a cult following. He's got a lot of fanboys. I hear them saying, well, at least he did something. I hear, I hear this all the time. Whenever Musk falls short of one of his big promises, his fanboys say, it's better than nothing. Or they say, 
What are you doing to help the situation? Reason, Reason Magazine ran a piece along these lines. The piece concluded, and this is just the quintessential Musk defense, BiPAP machines are not a replacement for primary ventilators, but they aren't nothing. Whatever Musk's flaws, these donations don't number among them. I mean, Elon Musk is a billionaire. Why do yeah. people insist on lowering the bar for him? He was the guy who said he'd deliver the ventilators, and he didn't do it. And how many times yeah. are people going to gush over Musk falling short of the expectations that he himself set? This is like, say I told you that I donated a thousand bucks to some charity and you later learn I only gave $50. Now you could say, well, at least Mike did something. He gave 50 bucks, which isn't nothing, but I'd be willing to bet you'd probably be more preoccupied with the fact that I grossly overstated what I had done in, in terms of the donation. Like why, why did I so grossly overstate what I was doing to help? You would be right to wonder why I did that because it's not truthful and you'd be well within your rights to believe that maybe I'm more concerned about how I'm perceived by others than whatever cause I purport to pledge my resources to. Hence me mm-hmm. lying about, you know, a thousand dollar donation. Ben, I don't know if you knew this about me, but I am not a billionaire, but Elon Musk is. So why the hell is he be why the hell is he getting a pat on the back for once again overpromising and underdelivering and one little footnote to this story Russ Mitchell who is the business reporter for the Los Angeles Times tweeted at Musk yesterday and he tweeted quote employees at two hospitals told me your delivery of bipaps was contingent on their posing for thank you shots to be posted on social media. One declined, one accepted. Was there ever such quid pro quo? I'd ask Tesla's press office, but it no longer exists, end quote. Make of that what you will. Don't buy Teslas, everyone. Don't buy Teslas. What a that's fucker. What I would say. What a, what a, yeah, that's what a dishonest, narcissistic wanker, as we'd say in England. Really, um, exactly. Yeah. He is a wanker. And I encourage people to, to look into it. I encourage people to look into his handling. of. He, he has a habit of inserting himself into the crisis du jour uh, because he senses a marketing opportunity. Coronavirus is the latest. The Thai cave rescue, that was another one. The California wildfires. And, and on and on it goes. The Puerto Rico hurricane, Hurricane Maria the Flint water crisis, and he has intervened, not intervened, but he has inserted himself in these crises, saying he's going to do things, and he's got a really mixed record on this stuff. And you can say, yeah, well, it's better than nothing. But again... Maybe nothing is better. Yeah, well, sometimes nothing is better, but but sometimes it's also like, why do you have to, why do you have to announce you're doing this? Why can't you just do it? Most of these start with like amusing on Twitter. Mm. I believe, you know, with the Hurricane Maria situation in Puerto Rico a couple of years ago, he started musing about because they had serious blackouts and he started musing about solar panels and delivering them to Puerto Rico. And it's like, well, you know what? Maybe instead of tweeting this, well, maybe if, or I wonder if, how about you get the governor of Puerto Rico on the phone and say, hi, this is Elon Musk. What's your situation? What can I do to help? Instead of rushing to Twitter and saying, hey, everyone, I'm thinking about helping. 
But that's why Elon Musk is famous, because he he understands how to manipulate the press. He understands how to manipulate the media, just like Donald Trump. You know, I mean, you're right. The parallels between the two are pretty, pretty, um, pretty amazing. Actually, I didn't realize they had so much in common. Um, I mean, personality wise now as well. I mean, it's it's yeah, it's pretty clear. Self-promoting narcissist who, yeah, over promises and under delivers and seems to keep getting second chances. Yeah, that's sad. That's very, very sad. My favorite Musk story is him calling the boss of one of his critics on Twitter, a guy who goes by the name of Montana Skeptic. And I guess he was doxxed by the Tesla fanboys who found out who he was. I guess he was an asset manager in New York City. This guy was completely reasonable. He, he brought reasoned critique and questions to the whole Tesla operation. And he wasn't nasty or anything like that. But Musk couldn't handle the fact that this guy was dinging him online. So much so that Musk found out where this guy worked and called his boss in an effort to get him in trouble. That's who Elon Musk what a loser. is. What a loser. Yeah, wow. I mean, I, I, you know, America does tend to reward wankers like that, sadly. It, it's a nation that kind of... I don't know what it is. It's like this sort of adoration of rich people and powerful people, and they they kind of they become these kind of mythical characters, and um, they can get away with absolute murder because they play to the kind of fantasies of of the kind of population that they could one they could one day be like Elon Musk or they could be like um, Donald Trump. So I think that's kind of why they get away with this. Oh, who would want to? Oh yeah, no, I I, I know I know. Um, it's it's. Uh, troubling particularly when you you know you're in a time like a global pandemic when you do really need people to step up and uh, instead you've got self-promoting assholes trying to kind of uh, improve their brand recognition gross anyway i think uh, we've uh, we've covered a lot today next week um we shall see what we're going to talk about as is always the case with uh, a global pandemic and donald trump as president the things change from minute to minute so uh, we have no idea what we're going to be covering next week but please stay tuned follow and subscribe to us please you can subscribe to us on spotify also on anchor and um yeah mike mike any any uh, departing words ta-ta and stay safe motherfuckers Stay safe, motherfuckers, indeed. Okay, everyone, see you next week.